Good evening. Well, I feel like I've been half baptized. I feel wet from the waist down. <laughs> Trying to get in, out into the car in the rain. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the purpose and the privilege of prayer. And we thank you, Father, for the new and interesting ways that uh, you teach us how we can apply it to our lives and and be a blessing to others. And so we pray, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts and edify our hearts this evening as we listen to you on this issue of prayer once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 9 uh, through verse 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sure, the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. In his prayer uh, for the Colossian believers, the Apostle Paul lays out here before us a pattern for praying that actually provides a way for practical spiritual growth if we were to apply what he says in this prayer for the believers at Colossae. Notice how it starts, verse 9, for this reason, which means he's responding to some other things that came before. This phrase connects verse 9 with the preceding verses and preceding verses of 4, 5, and 8, which speak of Epaphras' report that he gave to Paul concerning the saints at Colossae. Notice verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard, in the word of truth, the gospel, and he has also informed us of your love in the spirit. Now it's particularly obvious that there's nothing unkind or stingy about Paul's request when we read the verses 9, 10, and 11 and see words like all, fill, and every. Notice word that you may be filled Verse 9, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, also verse 9, to please him in all respects, verse 10, every good work, verse 10, all power, verse 11, all steadfastness and patience, verse 11, nothing stingy at all or unkind or mean about what Paul uh, expresses here when he makes this request. 
From the very first day that Paul heard about the dear Colossian saints, with their outstanding faith, love, and hope, he made it a practice to pray for them. He was impressed by the life that they were living for the Lord. And so he made it a practice that he would pray for them so that that life that they're living for the Lord would continue. But instead of praying in generalities, notice how specific his intercessions were for them. First, he prayed for them to be, verse 9, filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now notice, he didn't ask for them to be satisfied with knowledge simply for the purpose of bragging about how much knowledge they had, because that's what some people do today. They brag about how much they know. And people often say they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so Paul was more concerned about praying uh, that they, they would be filled with the knowledge of God, not for satisfaction for bragging rights. He also wanted them to have the full knowledge of God's will in their lives as revealed in God's word. Such knowledge is, is not of a worldly or, or a carnal nature, but it is characterized by spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, this wisdom would enable them to be able to apply the knowledge in the best way possible in order that God might be glorified by it. And the understanding would enable them to see, the, see what agrees and what conflicts with God's word. And so it's vital that he pray for them in this way, that they, they, would, they would have spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom. But then why did Paul want the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? He never met them. He didn't knew them. Was it so that they may have, that they may become powerful preachers and amazing teachers? Was it so that they may be able to draw to themselves a, a great following, like many are trying to do today? Absolutely not. The right purpose for spiritual wisdom and understanding is to enable Christians to, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, or to please God in every single way possible. You see, this is a vital lesson on the issue of guidance for us. God never reveals his will to us for the purpose of satisfying our curiosity. Never. Neither is it intended to gratify our ambition or pride. The Lord instead reveals his will for our lives so that we may be able to please him and him alone in every single thing that we do. That's the reason for revealing his will. He wants to be pleased in all that we do. But then Paul goes on to remind us that although a person is not saved by good works, he or she must certainly be saved for good works. He uses the phrase in verse 10, Bearing fruit in every good work. Now, every now and then, when the total worthlessness of good works is emphasized regarding salvation of souls, people can give, we can give the impression that 
Christians don't believe in good works. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we learn of Paul's expression or advice or counsel to the believers at Ephesus in chapter 2 and verse 10, where he says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The apostle, the apostle Paul also in his letter to Titus mentions something about works in the life of the believer when he says, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds or good works. These things are good and profitable for men, Titus 3.8. But then secondly, Paul not only, not only did Paul want them to bear fruit in every good works, that is the believers at Colossae, but he also, but also to increase. Verse 10. Increase in what? In the knowledge of God. How is this done? First of all, it's done through the diligent study of God's word. Secondly, it is accomplished by obeying his teachings and serving God faithfully in all that we do. And as we do these things, we enter into a deeper knowledge of the Lord so that the second point is more important here than the first one. And that is entering into a deeper knowledge of the Lord. Hosea chapter 6 in verse 3 says, So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. If there's anything that we ought to be pressing on for, it is to know the Lord better and better as long as he allows us to reside on planet Earth. You see, we can't help but notice how repetitious Paul is in using the word knowledge without realizing that there is a clear-cut progression in the thought of these words in each usage. According to verse 6, they knew the grace of God, a reference to salvation. According to verse 9, they had the knowledge of his will, a reference to the study of the scriptures. And then according to verse 10, they were increasing in the knowledge of God, a reference to service and Christian living. And so the point the point is that right conduct should be the result of sound doctrine which reveals itself in obedient service to God. But then Paul had a third request for the Colossian believers. Paul's third request for the Colossian saints was to be, verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's also note, important to notice the progression up to this point in Paul's prayer for these saints. One of the things we see is the word filled comes to mind. They were, they were, that, that, that they may be filled, verse 9. Fruitful, bearing fruit, verse 10. And then fortified, strengthened with all power, verse 11. And so there's a progressive move up to this point where Paul uses those expressions filled, fruitful, and fortified. 
Why? Well, it's impossible for the Christian life to be lived only by human energy. Nothing less than the supernatural strength of God is, re is required. And for that reason, Paul's request is driven by the desire for the believers to know the power of the risen God. So he desires for them to know this power according to his glorious power. That is God's glory and glorious power. What Paul specifically requested is not for these, not for this power to be out of his glorious power, but according to it. Because of, because of the limitless capacity of God's glorious power. Why was this so important to Paul? For the Christian believers to have this power. So that they could go around doing impressive miracles. Impress everybody and make themselves look good. So they could cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead and multiply bread. Absolutely not. The reason for the child of God having this power is expressed in verse 11. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Or with great joy. Because of what is happening in Christendom today, this is absolutely crucial for you and I to grasp. What is happening in Christendom today? Enormous emphasis is being placed on so-called miracles, such as speaking in tongues and healing the sick, or what they call faith healing, and other related breathtaking acts of what we might call showmanship, because in many cases that's basically all that it is, showmanship. But in our day, a greater miracle far excels above all of these things that people are doing to grab, gravitate people and attention to themselves. And that is God's redeemed child suffering patiently and thanking God in the midst of trials. That in itself is a miraculous occasion and an act that's going on in our world today. We hear about the suffering church and all those persons who are being persecuted for their faith. The miracle in all of that is how those who are persecuting them are turning their lives over to Jesus Christ because they see the stand that they're taking and the courage that they're taking for what they believe. That's the miracle. That's the miracle that is happening far greater than the showmanship that many people want to have exhibited in their lives today. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. It is the Colossians, not Paul, giving thanks in this verse. Paul's prayer for them is not just to be strengthened with all might, but also to have the kind of thankful spirit that would never fail to express their gratitude. Verse 12, to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, in order for believers to appreciate heaven, there must be a fitness for heaven. We're not fit to enjoy the glories of heaven as the sons of Adam. We're not. So even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not in and of ourselves have any fitness 
for heaven. But what does God do to change that? God immediately bestows on a person fitness for heaven when he saves them, and they become, their fitness is in Christ Jesus himself, which absolutely nothing can improve on. And so regardless of how long a believer lives and serves with obedience here on earth, it does not make them any more fit for heaven than on the first day that he or she was saved. Our title to glory is found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And although the inheritance is in the light and reserved in heaven, believers on earth have the Holy Spirit as the guarantee, as the scripture says, of our inheritance. Therefore, we can rejoice in what lies ahead for us while enjoying even now the first fruits of the Spirit of God. So, in making us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, God, verse 13, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. As sinners, we were once enslaved by Satan in bondage. But through Christ, we have been rescued from his clutches. And now we are subjects of Christ's kingdom. Satan's kingdom is one of darkness and coldness and sadness and sorrow, while the kingdom of Christ is one of love, light, warmth, and joy. Christ is the one, verse 14, in whom we have redemption. Redemption describes the act of our emancipation from the slave market of sin. To show how highly he valued us, the Lord Jesus Christ put a, a price tag on us. He set a value on us that could only be paid by the shedding of his precious blood, and his blood alone. The blood of goats and animals and rams on an altar would not do. This meant that it should be clear to us that since we have been purchased at such a great cost, we no longer belong to ourselves and should not live our lives any way we feel like living it, which is what many people do today. They say, this is my life and I can do with it whatever I want. And yet they claim to be emancipated by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a contradiction. But Christ did not only give us redemption. He also gave us, verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. This means that every single debt which our sins incurred has been canceled by God. Not hidden, not postponed, canceled. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross, and it never needs to be paid again. God has not only forgiven our sins, but he has settled and closed our sin account by relocating them to a place where they cannot be found. You can search all you want, and you'll never find the account of our sins. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
how far is the east is from the west? Can you measure it? Can't be found. And so in closing, listen to the words again. I'm going to read it this time from the New Living Translation. From this verses 9 through 14. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will, your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Verse 12. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled us to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14, who purchased our freedom with his blood and forgave our sins. You know, every so often we receive a prayer request for saints that we've never met and we don't know. And we're often uncertain of how to pray for them. Well, Paul gives us an example right here in this passage. Even though Paul had never met the Colossian believers, he prayed for them faithfully, responsibly, and intelligently. Because of his example, we have a pattern that teaches us how to engage ourselves in prayer and practice for growth of other believers in Christ. And in the process, we grow ourselves. And we're talking about others that we don't know and that we've never met. How can we pray for them? First, we have an that they have an understanding of what God wants them to do. We pray that they get spiritual wisdom. We pray that they honor and please God. We pray that they generate every kind of good fruit. We pray that they learn to know God better and better. We pray that they be strengthened with God's glorious power. We pray that they have great steadfastness and patience or great endurance and patience. We pray that they be filled with joy. And we pray that they always give thanks, that they are thankful in all things because the Bible says that is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Now, these are the same basic needs that all believers have. All of us have these same basic needs. Think of how we can grow in our own walk with, the God, with God by using this pattern that Paul presents as he prays for the saints at Colossae. When you don't know how to pray for someone, Paul's prayer pattern can be quite useful, most helpful. 
And so as the Lord leads, let's go forth this week and with all diligence apply this prayer and practice for growth in our lives, this pattern that we may be blessed as we become a blessing to others, as Paul was. Amen? Our Father in God, we are grateful for your servant, the Apostle Paul, who took it upon himself to pray in such a unique way for individuals whom he never met. What was important to Paul was that they were all members of the incredible body of Christ. And it was important for him to pray for their spiritual growth and development as they walk and as they lived and as they moved about and have their being. We pray, Lord, that that would be the case for each of us here this evening. As we go forth this week, help us to be mindful of how, of how we can pray more effectively for those whom we've never met, but who are serving faithfully and responsibly for you. Get glory for yourself as we endeavor to do so. And we pray, Father, for your blessed benediction as we leave here this evening. We pray, Father, for your, your blessings of safety as we drive home on the wet roads. We pray, Father, that you would keep us free of accident and incident. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. The Lord bless you as you go.